Okay, let's stand John 3 in the Bibles this evening. John 3, verse 1 down through verse number 8. We'll get us going and then we'll get right into the message tonight. The Bible says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and... That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. In John 3 through John chapter 7, we see Jesus interacting with a variety of different people who needed to be saved. And uh, the, uh, the, the mini-series we're going to begin tonight uh, from John 3 through John 7 within the Gospel of John is called Engage. Engage. Are you engaging others with the Gospel? Are you soul conscious? Are you looking to tell anyone and everyone about Jesus? Tonight we're going to look at this title, Engaging the scholars, engaging the scholars. Let's pray. Lord, tonight as we look at Jesus' interactions with Nicodemus, we pray two things. One, for those who maybe are in the spot of Nicodemus, where they're religious but confused, they're knowledgeable about the Bible but lost, and uh, Lord, not sure what to do, help those tonight to find their way to salvation. And then, Lord, uh, we pray for those of us that are saved, that you would encourage us not to be intimidated by people who are smart, maybe even smarter than us. Lord, help us to remember that you use the simple to confound the wise and the weak to confound the mighty. May we be bold with the gospel, bold with the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Again, our theme this year is the commands of Christ. Two weeks ago, we looked at uh, the command of Christ out of Mark sixteen fifteen. I preached an impassioned sermon about go ye into all the world. Uh, Mark sixteen fifteen, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We were challenged last week through our missions conference to do three things to fulfill that command. Those three things were what? They were to give. Say it with me. Give. And they were to pray. Say it with me. Pray, and they were to go. Say it with me. Go. So all three. Ready? Give and pray and go. We're to do all three simultaneously. It's not give or pray or go. It's give and pray and go. And so I love pastoring White Oak Baptist Church. 
I love it. Listen, I hope one day uh, they uh, they bury me somewhere on this property when I'm an old man. I want to be here all the way to the end. And I, I love pastoring this church. Uh, I, I, I want to be an old, decrepit man sitting on the pew, listening to the next guy preach, and I'll be waving my Bible and just saying amen as he goes. And I love this church. There are people who attend here from all, all over the world. And I've traveled some internationally and, and speak a second language. Do you know what I have discovered? I have discovered that people are people everywhere you go. Uh, people are people everywhere you go. There are four basic personality types. And uh, everyone seems to be some combination of those uh, four personality types, whether you grew up in uh, the woods of Mongolia, Asia, or you grew up in the jungle of Brazil or Peru, or you grew up uh, in the desert of Africa, or you grew up in uh, the, uh, uh, the great northwest of the U.S. of A. or Vancouver. People are people wherever you go. They're, they're, they're people are people. All men have a need to be respected. All women have a need to be deeply loved. Uh, you can find some couple uh, on the other side of the globe, and uh, they might even be part of an uncivilized tribe somewhere. But can I tell you what the men want? Men want their woman to respect them. And can I tell you what the women want? The women want their men to love them. And that's just how God innately made us. Men to be loved and women to be respected. Uh, this is not just true across the landscape of planet Earth. These things have all been true about humanity throughout all of history. One thing more is true, and that is that all mankind lives under a sin curse. All mankind lives under a sin curse and is in need of salvation. One thing I love about Christianity, as opposed to many other religions, is that it does not matter what color your skin is. It does not matter where culture you come from. It does not matter what wealth class uh, that you claim to be a part of. The gospel does not identify based on those uh, things. It uh, does not identify based on those lines. Salvation, the gospel of Jesus, permeates penetrates through all of that, and the gospel is available to everyone. You can find Christians in just about any culture, any culture, because the gospel reaches all. Um, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Can you turn over to Romans 10? Hold your place in John. Turn over to Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. Such an important passage. We covered this on a Saturday morning recently in Great Commission Saturday, and I said that people who love Calvinism, they love Romans 9. They, they love Romans 9. Romans 9 is one of their go-to chapters, not their only chapter, but one of their favorite chapters. The problem is they forget that Romans 10 is the very next chapter, and uh, verse, uh, verse uh, 12 talks about how it's available to Jew and Greek, and that's that's Jew and, and everybody else. And, and so there's your, there's your auspice of all of humanity. And then we get to verse 13 and we have this bombshell of a word. For whosoever. Now, you don't have to be a theologian to know what whosoever means, do you? Danny, what does whosoever mean? Anybody. All right? That's anybody. Jew or Greek, regardless of where you're born, for whosoever. Look at it. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
So we see here that there's an invitation to call on the name of the Lord. That's given to Jew and Greek. That's given to whosoever. Am I stretching the Scriptures tonight? Am I making up something that isn't there? Is that what it says? Alright, so we know that it's available to everyone, but not everyone gets saved. The Bible goes on and talks about man's free will as it pertains to salvation. Look at 14. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Now you see here how this works. God is calling the whosoever's of the world to be saved, but He's leaning on me and you to tell them so they can believe. If we don't go, they won't know. If we don't go, they won't know. Now, there's a passage of Scripture that's been rattling around my brain for the last few days. It's in Jude, where it says, And if some have compassion, making a difference. You know what, as the pastor, you know what my key job is? My job with you all, church members, and thank you for attending White Oak Baptist Church. I mean that. You're members, you're faithful, you give, you love the Lord. But you know what my duty is as your shepherd? My duty as your shepherd is to, uh, let's see, motivate you to be holy and motivate you to tell others. And so sometimes to motivate you to tell others, I'll tell a sappy story and I'll, bring, I'll try to bring tears to your eyes. And uh, how many of you here, it, you, you tear up quite easy when you watch a sappy movie? Raise your hand, be honest. You get teary-eyed quite easy. All right, you're the same ones that cry when I preach. All right, how many of you here, no matter how sappy the movie is, you ain't crying. You're just not going to cry. It don't matter, right? You, you looked up. Some of you didn't raise your hand either time. I guess the rest of you don't watch movies. Is that what it is? You're the ones that are holy. Amen. I need to be more like you. So, uh, but uh, uh, listen, uh, some folks, I'm going to motivate you to go give the gospel by, by, by using the love of Christ and, and motivating you with the love of Christ. But you know what verse 23 says in, in Jude? It says, others saving by fear, pulling them from the fire. And others need me to pound the pulpit and, and motivate them and, and, and jar them and grab them and, and shake them and and both are needed and both are necessary listen my job is to motivate you to get out of your comfort zone and engage others with the gospel i i uh i I pray through the church family on a regular basis and i get to some of you and i um sort of have a time with the lord and i say lord what do i got to do to get this one to start sharing their faith and and sometimes I get discouraged and think, there ain't nothing I can say to get that one to share their faith. They're just not going to do it. But I keep praying that God will get your heart and get you to go with the gospel. Now, I want to just say one more thing before I move on from Romans 10. And, uh, and that is this. God puts the Otis on me and you to tell others about Him. Right? Now, to hold to a purely uh, uh, the elect... God does the choosing and man doesn't have a free will involved in this. To hold to that viewpoint, then what does it matter if I tell others about Jesus? Because he's going to reach them on their own. Doesn't matter if I share. 
They're going to find their way to salvation. And Jesus says no. In Romans 10, the Lord speaks through Paul to us and says, there are those that will only hear because you and I open our mouth and tell them so they can believe. We need to engage. So from John 3 through John 7, we find Jesus interacting with many different types of people who need the truth of salvation. In a word, what did Jesus do? He engaged them. He talked to them. He stimulated them with a question. He looked them in the eye and he inquired about their soul and he told them about Jesus. John 3, he engages the scholar, Nicodemus. John 4, he interacts with the woman at the well or the sinner. John 5, he interacts with the man who is sickly by the pool of Bethesda. John 6, he has those who he's fed and then they chase him down on the other side of the Sea of Galilee and they want him to feed them again and he begins to tell them, take your eyes off the physical and focus on the spiritual, and they can't do it. And so he's engaged with the skeptics. And then John chapter 7, we find him in Jerusalem interacting with the Pharisees, and they are a bunch of scorners. And you know what Jesus did? He gave them the gospel all the same. Each group that Christ engaged, he got different results. Some of them believed in the message of salvation. Look at the woman at the well. Others considered, but would choose to walk away and reject. Look at John chapter 6. And others would become hostile or even violent over his message. John chapter 7. Ultimately, Christ was crucified uh, because he would not stop preaching his message of truth uh, to those who were fixated on their own lies. But that didn't stop Jesus. He kept giving the truth, even though people were fixated on lies and hated him for it. One attribute about truth is that it is discovered and not invented. Truth is discovered, it is not invented. There is not my truth and your truth. Truth is universal. Truth applies uh, uh, to everyone. It is discovered with time. I, I look at it this way. If this is truth, and this is the, the, the spectrum of opinions that exists in the world on any one thing, we all have an opinion, but you know what it takes? If my opinion is here and truth is over here, I must humble my heart and move my opinion in line with truth so that I can walk in the truth. And all of us have areas in our life where we have a strong opinion that's out of line with truth and we must humble ourselves and get that thing right and get that thing in line and as we do boy we begin to walk in the light and we begin to see that which is needed God needs us to look people in the eye and gently and tenderly walk them through and engage with them with the truth why? because truth sets people free John 8.32 Jesus said and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free I love going along and meeting someone and engaging with them and walking away, they have a smile on their heart they are in their heart, they have a smile on their face and they walk away free like a burden has been lifted off their shoulders because they have found the truth of the gospel. Now, notice that Christ delivered the truth to everyone. He did not seek out the more likely to receive and exclude those who He believed would reject. He threw out the truth to everyone and left the decision of what to do with it at the feet of the recipient. Hey, that's an area Pastor Lejeune can work on. You know, one thing I do is I read the body language of the person I'm in contact with, and if they're not being very nice to me, I'm like, well, I don't think I'm going to give them a track because, I mean, they're, they're being very cold. I was at Woodmont Pizza in Milford yesterday getting a couple slices of pizza after soul winning uh, with, my, with uh, Angela's brother-in-law, Aaron. And uh, I, we walked in, and the guy behind the counter was just being rude. 
Can you believe that in New England? That someone would be rude? And um, he, he, uh, he was just... By, I said, how you doing? Fine. Oh, yeah, you sound like you're doing fine. All right. And I walked in the door with an Easter door hanger to give him. You know what I didn't do? I didn't give it to him. Because he wasn't being very nice. And you know why I didn't? I'm just going to tell you the truth right now. You know why I didn't give it to him? Because I thought he was going to reject it. I should have offered it to him and let him reject it. It wasn't my place to decide God could have used that. Hey, I can grow in this area. How many of you are with me and say, I can grow in this area too? Jesus gave the gospel to everyone. He didn't care whether or not it seemed likely they would reject it or not. Now, this evening, we're going to talk about engaging with people. And uh, we're going to focus on a religious scholar. We'll see how Christ engaged him and what parallels we can apply to our own engaging of those who are intelligent. I had someone ask me the other day. They threw out a name. I'm not going to give the name. but They threw out a name uh, of someone who's very popular in our culture who is extremely intelligent. I mean, IQ that's up to wazoo. This guy could speak circles around me philosophically. I, I, I don't know this person's a Christian. If so, uh, just found their way into Christianity. And I was asked this question. If you went on a long car ride with just you and him, what would you say? And I stopped and thought about that. So this person clearly has a higher IQ than me. I've listened to the hours of this person on podcasts, and I thought, man, I, I, uh, this person could uh, uh, just... Uh, take me behind the woodshed intellectually and just beat me. I, I don't know. And, and, and I thought about that and I thought, you know, I know what I'd do. I'd just give him the gospel. I'd just give him the gospel. And uh, let, him, let him chew on that for a while. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you are intimidated to sit down with someone who is smarter than you and tell them about Jesus? That, that, is a, that, is, that can sound like a daunting task. And Jesus is smarter than Nicodemus, and we're going to look tonight and show, I'm going to show you how Jesus was uh, toying with Nicodemus even a little bit in the passage. But, you know, the same tactic Jesus used, me and you can use, and we can tell anybody about the Lord. So let's run through seven thoughts out of John 3 as we consider this thought of engaging the scholar. Okay, quickly, number one, notice the scholars cover. The scholars cover. Look at verse number one. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Look here, verse 2. The same came to Jesus by night, by night. Nicodemus was a well-educated man who was stuck in a bad system. Many have speculated that the Pharisees uh, had the first five books of the Bible memorized. That's quite a task. They, they knew the Bible much like a good attorney knows our Constitution. Nicodemus was stuck between the Jewish uh, leaders... Uh, and held uh, to the Torah and the 
Talmud. The Talmud is this ancient commentary of the Torah. In fact, um, uh, Jewish leaders knew the Talmud almost better than they knew the Torah. And while Jesus wanted nothing to do with their commentary, why? Because Jesus, He was the Torah in the flesh. He was the Word of God in the flesh. Nicodemus knew he, he wanted what Jesus had to offer, but he was too nervous to openly admit it. Instead, he came to Jesus in the cover of the night. Many well-educated people allow the, the pressures of what others uh, in their peer group would think to keep them from pursuing truth. If all of these smart people say it is true, then there is no point in, in me tipping the apple cart and going against all of them, they reason. Nicodemus, while he did not want others to know he was doing it, he came to Christ because he was open about being different than the rest. He was looking to defect from a system that he knew was stuck in ceremonialism and brokenness. When others begin to question the system that they are in, do they come to you? Is it obvious that you aren't just going along to get along? We had a lady visit here probably five years ago now. and She was in, let's see, uh, biophysics. Worked at, works at Yale University as a researcher of biophysics. And she came here three or four weeks and she said to me, she said, I was a full-blown evolutionist. And she said, I got so deep into my research and study, I realized how complex things were. And there is no possible way that this came about through the process of evolution. No possible way. She said, I began to reach out to people I knew and they pointed me to some YouTube videos and some scripture, and the next thing I knew, I was putting my faith in Christ alone to be my Savior. She said, I went from being an evolutionist atheist to where now I am a full believer in Christ. She said, but I can't talk about this at work or I'll lose my job. I'll lose my job. The scholars cover. Number two, notice the scholars' confession. Look at verse 2. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, look here, we know, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Who is the we here? It's the other Pharisees. Openly, the Jewish leaders opposed Jesus, but privately, uh, there were many who were enamored by him. And they weren't ready to openly admit that he was the Messiah, but they knew he was at least on the right team. Uh, turn over to John 1. I'm going to show you something really fascinating here. Jumped off the page to me when I was a teenager reading my Bible. And um, uh, just fascinating. All right, John 1 indicates that Jesus maybe had even quietly walked among the Pharisees before he began his earthly ministry. Now, I could be reading this into the passage, but... Boy, it sure seems to say that Jesus maybe walked amongst the Pharisees before he began his ministry. Look at verse number 23. This is John the Baptist speaking. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. And they which were sent were of the Pharisees. So this is a group of people that are part of the Pharisees. And they asked him and said unto him, 
Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, nor Elias, neither that prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. Look at this next phrase. But there standeth one among you, whom ye know not. Now, it could have just been that Jesus walked up in the crowd. I'll grant that. But it seems to read that Jesus was walking among the Pharisees before he began his earthly ministry. 27 says, He it is who coming after me is preferred before me, whose shoes latched I am not worthy to unloose. So what was the confession of Nicodemus? He began by saying, We know there's something special about you, Jesus. You know what I found is that most people have a hard time with Jesus. They either have to uh, excuse him from history outright, or they have to discredit his resurrection, or uh, they have to uh, grant that he was a good man, a good man, but not God. Someone wrote uh, in a book, they said he was either Lord, or he was a liar, or he was a lunatic. Got to be one of the three, because he claimed to be God. He did not claim to be a good man. And if you claim to be God and you're not, you know what that makes you? That either makes you a liar or a lunatic. And Jesus was who he said he was. And Nicodemus admitted Jesus was a good man. Number one, the scholar's cloak. Number two, the scholar's confession. Number three, notice the Lord's comparison. The Lord's comparison or Jesus' comparison. Verse 3, John 3, verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus loved to use metaphors to make his point. In fact, John 6, he said, I am the living bread. As I shared in the introduction of the series, Jesus made seven different, uh, in seven different instances, uh, Jesus um, compared himself to other things. Seven I am statements. I am the door. I am the way. I am the resurrection of the life. I am the bread of life. I am the shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the true vine. Christ loved to take objects or ideas that people were familiar with and use them to help illustrate his larger point. Another way of putting this, he he liked to use the earthly to help explain the eternal. Eternal. Here in John 3, Christ says to our scholar Nicodemus, Marvel not that I say unto thee, singular, ye must be born again. By the way, this is one of my main reasons, one of the big reasons why I love the King James Bible, up against any other translation of the Bible. Uh, notice here, now people say, the King James is hard to read, and uh, it's got all these these and thous and thines, and, and uh, it ends words in ETH, and, and I just can't keep up. And uh, Let me help you with one thing that might confuse many people. All right, If a pronoun ends in the letter T, it is singular, and if a pronoun ends in the, or be, rather begins with the letter T, it's singular, and if a pronoun begins with the letter Y, it's plural. So, the, singular, ye, plural. Look back at this verse with me, alright? John 3, and uh, look at verse number, let's see, is that verse 3? Verse 7. Verse 7, look down at verse 7. Marvel not that I say unto thee, singular, you, Nicodemus, I'm talking to you specifically. Marvel not that I say unto thee, notice that next word, ye, all of you, at enlarge, all of you generically, must be born again. Marvel not that I say, you know what any other version in the English language says? Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. 
You see how the King James is far more specific in its message. What was the Lord saying here? He is relating a new relationship in Christ to a child's birth. He's saying to become a child of God is like being born anew and holding that baby uh, in your arms after it's been born. Oh, how special that is. And Christ says, uh, in order to become a child of the kingdom of heaven, you must be born anew. He's comparing a new relationship in Christ to a child's birth. Number one, the scholar's cloak. Number two, the scholar's confession. Number three, the Lord's comparison. Number four, notice the scholar's confusion. The scholar's confusion. Look at verse number four. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Mr. High IQ Nicodemus takes what Christ is saying literal and can't seem to see the metaphor. He can't seem to see it. He's confused by what the Master is saying to him. This passage has tickled me for so many years. Jesus looks at Nicodemus, he says, You want to go to heaven? You've got to be born again. Nicodemus sits there and scratches his head. And he says, How? I'm old. How am I supposed to climb back in my mom's womb and come out a second time? (laughs) Um, Nicodemus, Really? Uh, are you are you really that literal? You can't see the metaphor. Now, in fairness to Nicodemus, we've had thousands of years to parse this and see it. He was in the moment, okay? Um, I believe that Christ was establishing his credentials with Nicodemus. In a sense, he was talking right over the top of his head. He was showing Nicodemus that your intellect cannot and will not get you into heaven. Here's what you need to understand about smart people. All right, I am not a high IQ guy. I've got a, a pretty average IQ from what I understand. Um, but I've been around a lot of smart people. Some of you in here have a very high IQ. And a, a little secret is if you have a high IQ and I get around you, I get a little nervous sometimes. All right? I just can't stand talking to Miss Rose. I feel so nervous, all right? She's, I, I'm not kidding, actually. Um, being smart, listen to me, being smart has never washed away a single sin. Don't be intimidated by people's IQ. Being smart has never washed away a single sin. You get around rich people. A lot of people get nervous when they get around rich people. You know, being rich has not bought one ticket into heaven. And sometimes you get around people who are super well put together. I... Went to get a haircut yesterday, and the, the line was really long. And so I, uh, I uh, walked over to Joseph A. Banks, and I went to the clearance section because I can't afford the rest of it. Amen? And I was looking at the clearance section, and I looked over, and there's a guy standing in the mirror with a big, uh, with a fancy suit on. And the guy looked like a million dollars. And he turned, and I thought, is that Matt Damon? I had to look three times. I mean, he looked exactly, it could have been. I'm not saying it was. I'm just saying it could have been, okay? And I looked exactly like him. And I thought, that guy is well-dressed. He is sharp. Do you know that being well-dressed and cleaned up 
has never resulted in God redeeming anybody. There are... Hear what I'm about to say. There are plenty of uneducated, poor, dirty people who have been washed by the blood of Christ and been born anew into the family of God and are on their way to heaven. Look at Lazarus up against the rich man in Luke 16. Nicodemus had to see that being well-versed in the Scripture or the traditions of the elders wasn't going to get him anywhere. Christ was preaching a different message than what Nicodemus believed. Christ's methodology of presentation was different than anything he was used to. We see the scholar's cloak, the scholar's confession, the Lord's comparison, the scholar's confusion. Number five, notice the Lord's clarification. Look at verse five. John three, look at verse number five. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and uh, thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. What does this passage uh, even mean? Well, let's first look at what the passage doesn't mean. This is not teaching that a person has to be baptized to go to heaven. I, uh, I sat at a Midway Airport when I was a college kid with this uh, guy who was Catholic, and uh, the, the flight was delayed, and uh, we, we sat and waited, I think, an hour and a half to board the flight. And I began to witness to him. I was a very zealous college kid and began to witness to him. And uh, he, uh, he told me, no, you've got to be baptized to go to heaven. I said, where's that in the Bible? He took me to John 3. He said, right here, that was just born of the water and of the Spirit. And I said, my man, that is not talking about baptism. I said, uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Watch this now. How many realize that you exist in your mother's womb in water? Right? You ever hear a woman say, my water broke? Or her water broke? And when you're born, you are born out of water. That's the first birth. And to get to, watch this. If you're only born once you're going to die twice. But if you get to be born twice, you only have to die once. You can be born of the water and then believe in Jesus and be born of the Spirit and you die once and go to heaven. Or you can be born of the water and you can ignore salvation by Christ and then you can die uh, in your body and then you can be die and burn in hell because you rejected what Jesus did on the cross. The Lord's clarifying here, you're not just born of the water, you're not just born from your mother's womb, you're also born of, uh, of, of, of the Spirit. You're born, uh, the, the Spirit of God comes down with the blood of Jesus and literally washes away your sins and takes up residence inside of you and begins the process of making you into the image of Jesus Christ so you can go to heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.17 words it this way, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And John 1.12 says it this way, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. I would say to you, if you're here this evening, if you have never believed in Jesus alone to be your Savior, hey, salvation is that simple. You believe in Christ and you are made into a new creation. You are born anew. 
and uh, you are adopted into the family of God. By the way, real quick here. I picked on Calvinism. Let me pick on those who believe you can lose your salvation. All right? I'm not picking on you. I'm picking on that, that false belief. Does this mean... Okay. You, you can't be born again and again and again and again and again. Right? You got born again and then you messed up and sinned. Now you got to go, back, go back and be born again. And then you sin and you got to go back and be... How many times can a guy be born again and again and again and again and again? One time. The Bible says when you get saved, your, lamp, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I can see God up in heaven say, Oh, he blew it. Scratch his name out. Oh, he repented. Write it back in. Oh, he blew it. Scratch his name out. Oh, write it back in. Oh, scratch it out. Write it, scratch it. Well, hold on a second here. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life one time. That's it. You're done. In fact, uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 5 says that your name is sealed, sealed with a wax seal, sealed under the day of redemption, even if you grieve the Holy Ghost. How does one get saved? By simply believing in Christ. Number one, the cloak. Number two, the confession. Number three, the Lord's comparison. Number four, the confusion. Number five, the Lord's clarification. Let's look at number six. So I get my page turned here. Number six, we see the scholar's internal conflict. Look at verse number nine. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? I see Jesus sitting at a table, maybe on a rooftop, talking to Nicodemus. And I picture Nicodemus just totally bewildered. I... I mean, he's, his whole life he's been steeped in religion. He, he knows the Talmud. He knows the Torah. He knows the traditions of the elders. He knows all of the rigidity of the temple. He knows all of it. And he's sitting down with this rabbi, and, and, and his mind is just blown. I picture Nicodemus with his forehand against his head, and he asks, how can these things be? Can I elaborate what Nicodemus may have been saying? He may have been saying, I am religious. I am educated. I am a leader. I am respected. I am a model citizen of, 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 the, of, of the Jews. I know the Scriptures. How is it that I've never heard this before? Is everyone else wrong in this one man right? Has the religious system been lying to me all along? How can these things be? If there's one thing about scorners, it is that they will eventually rise up and take over. Scorners crave power. They crave power. They crave authority. Satan is the master scorner. And this world is run by Satan and his influence. I'm going to say something unpopular here. Many of the religious establishments in this city are not churches. They're not. There is no Catholic church. It's not a church. It's a religious establishment. It's not a church. Do you know for a church to be a church, it has to have believers in Christ who gather there? And worship the Lord? If you're just in there doing religious acts, and you don't have a group of people that believe, that's not a church. It's not. 
Now, this is a church because we teach and preach exactly what the Bible says, that Jesus is the way to heaven. You say, are we the only show in town? No, I'm not saying we're the only show in town. I believe there are other, church, other churches in Stratford that preach salvation the right way. But many, many religious establishments that call themselves a church, they are not churches because they are steeped in, in the false teaching that you can work your way to heaven. And I, I want to say to people who have fallen under that false belief, that that's not right. There's one way to heaven. It is to be born anew in Christ through faith. And you may look at me and say, have I been lied to my whole life? I'm religious. I know my religion. I know it inside and out. And I've been steeped in Catholicism. I've been steeped in Hinduism. I've been steeped in Islam. I've been told these things my whole life. Can this really be that this is wrong? And Jesus looked at him and said, marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. People have a conflict going in, on inside of them as they hear the truth. How many of you went to a, a church that, or a religious establishment that did not teach Jesus was the only way to heaven before you got saved? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. You went to a place that did not teach Jesus is the only way to heaven. How many of you felt the conflict that Nicodemus is feeling here? All right? Can that really be that I've been taught wrong my whole life? Number seven, lastly, notice the Lord's commentary. Letter A, notice their rejection of the simple. Their rejection of the simple. The simple. Look at verse 11, John 3, 11. Verily, verily, I say unto these, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive the rejection, ye receive not our witness. Look how simple Jesus made this. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Jesus said, look, there's this heavenly concept that would go way over your head. And I have brought it down and put it on the bottom shelf with a simple example of comparing it to the birth of a child. If you're going to reject the simple, uh, the earthly, you're never going to gain the eternal. Now, what is a parable? We know a parable to be in uh, a heavenly story with uh, an earthly meaning. And Jesus here does a masterful job all through the Gospels of taking a big concept that is heavenly and simplifying it in terms that we can understand. And what did the Pharisees do with Jesus' great truth that He made so simple? They rejected it. Do you know how many people, Brother, Brother Nino, do you know how many people over the years I've, ha- I've had say to me, nah, it's too easy. can't be that easy. can't be that easy. Salvation can't really be that simple. You know what? It's pretty simple. And to those who say, well, you know, can someone really get saved that quick and that easy? The gospel's not hard. You listening up here? There are four basic things a person needs to understand. Real quick. You're a sinner. Your sin separates you from God. Christ died in order to set you free from hell. He paid the penalty on the cross. Alright? Number three. uh, Let's see. Number two. I skipped one. Number two is you deserve to go to hell because you're a sinner. Number three, Jesus paid the penalty on the cross. You deserve hell. Jesus went through hell on that cross for you. He died in your place. Hey folks, this isn't complicated. The fourth thing you need to understand to go to heaven is that by faith you open up your heart and you receive the gift of eternal life Jesus bought on the cross for you. 
You know, if He died for you, but if you don't believe in Him, you're not going to go to heaven. You're going to go to hell. That's simple. People say, oh, it can't be that simple. It's that simple. Jesus said, if you're going to reject things that are simple, you're never going to gain uh, the heavenly. Letter B, letter B. The descent of the Savior. This is beautiful. The descent of the Savior. Look at verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And what's 13 saying? Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, no man has ever been good enough that when he died, he just ascended on up to heaven. It's never happened. No man has ever been good enough to earn their own way into heaven. So since man could not make their way up, the God-man made his way down. Because we're not worthy to go up there and be with Him. He condescended. He came down to be among us to save us. There are those who say, well, I'm going to get into heaven based on my good works. And Revelation chapter 20 tells us that one day the... The quick and the dead are going to be judged by their works and they're going to be thrown into hell as a result. I don't want God to judge me by my works because I can fool you and make you think I'm a great guy. I can't fool God and neither can you. He knows about all the sin that we've committed in our lives. That's why God sent Jesus down here to live amongst us. Because He knew that we were wretched and we were lost and we were hell-bound. And He came down here to rescue us from our sin. The rejection of the symbol, the descent of the Savior, letter C, we see the explanation of the symbol. Look at verse number 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Here's that word again, that whosoever, whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. You know what? uh, We can see his method of engaging the scholar. Christ began by running intellectual circles around Nicodemus. But then he would circle back to use a Bible story that he knew Nicodemus would be familiar with. You see, the Old Testament contains the slides of Christ. The New Testament is the slide projector that shines the light of who Christ is. Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, the reason that Moses put that serpent on a rod and held it up was so that, uh, uh, so that those who'd been stricken uh, by the, the sin of complaining could be healed. And one day, I'm going to be put up on a rod or a pole or a tree, and I'm going to be lifted up. And just as uh, the serpent was lifted up so they could be healed from the curse of the snake bite, you can be healed from the curse of your sin. And if I'll be lifted up, I can draw all men unto myself. He went to where Nicodemus was and he hit him with a story that he knew. And I can see that white bulb come clicking on for Nicodemus. Oh, that's why Moses lifted up the brazen serpent in the wilderness. Because it is a picture, a symbol of the Messiah, the suffering servant, dying on a cross. For my sin. 
Letter D, the simple plan of salvation. Look at John 3.16. It's tough. I'm preaching through the book of John. We could devote a whole year to just this one verse. Preachers have done it. We're going to hit it in sub-point D, number 7. Look at verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Let's read it together. Ready? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That word world. Look there. For God so loved the world. That word world comes from the root word cosmos, which means all mankind. That means me and that means you. For God so loved all mankind. That word whosoever, as Danny explained to us just a moment ago, means anyone and everyone. To believe, to believe, is to place one's total faith. Total faith. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, let's see. Uh, Matthew, hop up here and help me real quick, okay? Uh, I have Matthew coming up here. Matthew, do you trust your dad? I'm bringing you on the platform. All right, come on, hustle, 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 hustle. All right, stand right here. This is an old illustration, but I think it'll make the point to anyone who's not seen this before. Who's holding up Matthew's weight right now, me or Matthew? All right, put your hand on my shoulder. Lean on me just a little bit, all right? Now who's holding up Matthew's weight? Still Matthew. All right, turn. You're going to fall back in full faith that I'm going to catch you and not let you hit the ground, all right? You trust me? You don't trust me. Okay, you do trust me. All right. I'm a prankster. I've, you know, I've, anyway. All right, fall back. Let's go. Who's holding up Matthew now? All right, let's try this again, all right? Fall back. Fall back. Fall back. Good job. You know what? To be saved, you can't just put your hand on Jesus and say, I'm trusting Jesus and being Catholic or Baptist or a good person. You can't lean a little bit. You have to say, you know what? I'm going to fall back. Fall back. And if Jesus doesn't catch me, I'm going to fall into the flames of hell. Because my full faith is in Him alone. All my faith is in Christ to save my soul from hell. It's not Christ and my good works. It's not Christ and my church. It's not Christ and my infant baptism. It's Christ and Christ alone. That word perish means condemnation and hell fire. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not be condemned to hellfire, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have everlasting life. A home in heaven is a gift that is received by extending the hand of faith. For God, the greatest lover, so loved the greatest degree, the world, the greatest number, that He gave the greatest act. His only begotten Son, the greatest gift. That whosoever, the greatest invitation, believeth the greatest simplicity. In Him, the greatest person. 
should not perish the greatest deliverance, but the greatest difference. Have the greatest certainty, eternal life, the greatest possession. What we do not know, what Nicodemus did right here in John 3. We believe long term he got saved. We do not know what he did right here in this chapter with the message of salvation. But we do know that Christ engaged the scholar. Hey, I don't care how simple-minded you are or how intelligent you are. Don't be intimidated by someone because they have more degrees than you do or because they use words that have more syllables than you do. If you're saved, you know the truth. If you have the truth, then shout it from the mountaintops. Let the world hear that message. Some scholar is searching. Are you ready to share? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, this evening. Engaging the scholar. Engaging the scholar. Are you willing and ready to open your mouth and tell the world about Jesus? There might be one here tonight that has never actually put their full faith in Christ to save them. Oh, it would be a shame for you to hear a sermon out of John 3 and walk out of this church and not give your heart to Christ. If someone were to show up at your door tomorrow with a check for $10 million and offer it to you, no strings attached, and you fully believe them, you'd be crazy to say no to that. And while that's likely not to happen tonight, Jesus Christ is not offering you $10 million. He's offering you an eternity of the riches of Christ in heaven forever. And that $10 million is nothing compared to a lifetime in the presence of God and eternal bliss. Listen, the paving material in heaven is gold. You'd be, you would be crazy to walk out of here tonight and not open up your heart and trust in Christ and receive that gift of salvation. If you're here tonight and you've never fully believed in what Jesus did on the cross for you, I'd like to encourage you to ask Him into your heart tonight. You just need to pray a very simple prayer, a prayer that sounds something like this. If you'd like to believe in Jesus tonight, you fully understand that you're a sinner, condemned to hell, that Jesus died for you, and you're ready to extend your heart of faith. If you fully understand that, just pray this prayer right where you are under your breath. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from a holy God. I know I deserve hellfire for my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross and suffering in my place. Thank you for suffering hell for me. My faith is in you alone. Save my soul. Take me to heaven when I die. My faith is not in my good works or in any religion, but solely in you. In Jesus' name. If you're here tonight and you prayed that prayer from your heart and you meant that prayer, I'd like to rejoice with you. Everybody's heads are bowed and everyone's eyes are closed. But I'd like to rejoice with you. If you prayed that prayer tonight, would you just slip up your hand where you are? 
I prayed that prayer. I see two hands. Anyone else? I prayed that prayer tonight. I meant that with all my heart. How many here tonight would say, Pastor Lejeune, I need God to give me the courage to step up and be a bold witness? Pastor, I, I know what my duty is, but I find it intimidating to tell others about Jesus. Pastor, pray that God would give me the courage to share my faith. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right where you are? I know what my duty is. I have a hard time doing it. Just pray for me, Pastor. Many hands. Why don't you come tonight during the invitation, and why don't you ask God to give you that courage? Listen, if you're too intimidated to come to an altar, you're going to be too intimidated to tell others about Jesus. You're in an environment in a room of people who love you and support you. And maybe that first step is a step of faith to say, Lord, I, I came to the altar, now I'm asking you to give me the courage to share. 